Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. And welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Elle, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Alex. If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, hello, my name is Alex. Uh, I do internet reviews at uh, countzerooor.com. I review movies, television, video games, all sorts of comics, all sorts of wonderful stuff. Cool. Uh, now, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? I am bringing today a show called Thunderbolt Fantasy. This is a Taiwanese uh, Japanese co-production uh, with the Taiwanese end being by Studio Pili and the Japanese end being produced by the uh, Nitro Plus is the name of the company along with the um, uh, Good Smile Company which is a figure um, company they put out various degrees of figurines um, statues and that sort of thing. You may know them probably for, um, among other things, uh, the Figma line of figures. I, I was going to say the Neon Droid. I think they are. Yep. Also, yeah. also, also, Nendoroids as well. Nendoroids actually do. The Nendoroid figures actually do come up over the course of the show in a cute little cute little uh, gag. <laughs> uh, cool. So I've got my prepared list of questions designed to delve a little bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Certainly. All right. Uh, question one. Imagine I was someone who has been recently awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. So essentially, I know what media is, but I have never experienced any. How would you explain this to someone without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? Okay, it's going to be a little tricky, but I think I can do that. Um, like both a little tricky and both very not tricky. Um, Thunderbolt Fantasy is a uh, wuxia fantasy. That is, um, wuxia being the uh, Chinese uh, swordplay tradition that you see... Um, basically like wandering knights errant and that sort of thing. I'm hyper specialized simplifying um there. Um story told with glove pu- with, with uh, traditional Taiwanese glove puppets. Um so think like if this was somebody for like this is the sense of like you have one hand up holding the operating the, the puppet itself, head, mouth, that sort of thing, with the other with one arm operated on a, operating a rod or operated by a rod and possibly other limbs operated by other rods with additional puppeteers as well. Um, to get slightly into a more recent comparisons, I'd have to draw 
drug samples to say the dark crystal or the Muppets or that sort of thing. But this is a kind of puppeteering style that's been around for more or less forever. Um, in various degrees of detail and um, involvement in terms of the style of puppets and the type of media being presented. Cool. And uh, a little bit about the, about the show itself, about okay. what, it, what it entails of, a, you know, your average episode, maybe. All right. So this is a very, um, uh, serialized um, program. It's currently it's three seasons and two movies so far. There is an additional work that is production. They haven't said whether it's be a fourth season or a movie yet. Considering their release pattern so far, it'll probably be a third movie. Um, it is set in a more original fantasy setting again with a wuxia influence. Um, w- and it follows our main characters, uh, who I'm going to give a caveat here. I do not speak Chinese or uh, any dialect of Chinese, whether Mandarin or Cantonese, as a um, particularly. And I have a minor speech defect with my tongue that makes it difficult for me to form uh, certain phonemes. So when I refer to characters, I will refer to them once first using my, with my best effort for their actual name in, um, I believe, Mandarin is the predominant dialect for Taiwan, and then I'll refer to them afterwards by the translation of their art's name, basically a um, pseudonym that they are referred to in the setting, uh, and often referred to by the characters. This is not, yeah. this is different from a fan nickname. So uh, our main character here is Shang Bu Han, who is a wandering swordsman from another kingdom across the mountain range, where our, our main part of the setting, these two kingdoms have been separated by um, this by this wasteland, uh, this magical wasteland for years after a previous magical cataclysm, and he has come to this and basically shortly after arriving in the main kingdom where the setting is set, he ends up getting caught up in a chain of events involving a villainous organization called the Black Demon Sect or um, Zuan uh, Gi Hong. Um, or Zong, I'm, and led by, by um, Mei Tan Hai or Bones of Creation, and um, so Chang Buhan, his arts name is um, he gets the arts name of Edgeless Blade, so I'll be referring to Chang Buhan as that, and he gets caught up because the Black Demon Sect and their leader. Bones of Creation is trying to collect, they like to collect magic swords. And he's try, and he's after this one temple, which has this one magic sword that he wants. And the last surviving priestess of the temple, Dan Fei, or um, she doesn't really have an arts name. It translates as Vermilion Kingfisher, but she just gets called Dan Fei is the last survivor of the temple. Uh, she has doesn't have the full sword, but she has the guard of it. And, she, and the blade doesn't work if all the pieces aren't there. And to get the sword back, she ends up calling upon the help of uh, Edgeless Blade because he's there. And another mysterious figure, Lin uh, Shui Ha, 
uh, um, or the enigmatic Gale, who um, decides to also come along and help as well, because he has an he has an interest in knocking people like Bones of Creation down a peg, and they get into why over the course of the series. That's that's uh, enigmatic Gale's character development. Hmm. But yeah, you're doing a much better job with the names than I think I ever could. Yeah. So each season has its own unique arc. The first one has Edgeless Blade and Enigmatic Gale getting together, uh, basically a crew to do a wuxia heist um, to get the sword back from Bones of Creation. Season two gets into more of why edgeless blade came to this kingdom in the first place as people from where he was from have come here chasing after him for the, for various reasons, some to help him, some to uh, take him down. And the third season in gets into some of the more supernatural, supernatural parts of the setting, as well as finding out what's been going on at the land that um, edgeless blade came from while he's been gone. Cool. So it's got a, sort of the inbuilt, ongoing narrative. Yes. Yeah. Uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out the most to you? Um, Probably what stood out the most to me is... The descriptions of this, the, the ongoing narrative and the level of, and the level of characters. Um, it, there's a level of detail to the world that it really does a good job of developing on and building on somewhat deliberately over the course of each season. Um, and expands on those ideas. Well, and it, it and it does a good job of pacing itself to expand on those ideas. Yeah, so it would appeal to people who are more into, like, the sort of the more story-driven things rather than the big action-y effects. Well, I will say it does also do action-y effects very, very well. Um, so it's, in fact, I, I, I'd argue it's, the reason the reason for its appeal is both. Um, it's one of like the f- the fight scenes in the show are. I don't want to cop out and say they have to be seen to be believed, but they are immensely involved in truly impressive affairs. Um, the puppets themselves are immensely detailed. Um, it's, I mentioned the dark crystal earlier for a reason. While, um, the puppets for Thunderbolt fantasy aren't the more felt cloth style affairs for like the main body of the puppet, like you'd get with, um, some of the Jim Henson company's work, they do have a level of very intricate detail to them. The, the heads and limbs are more wood carved wood blocks and um, that sort of thing, but they do have a significant degree of um, detail to them and design to them to allow them to 
emote very effectively. And on top of that, the fight scenes are very well orchestrated with the puppets. When I was mentioning about multiple rods for multiple limbs, the puppets are designed to work well for all of the things that you would expect for, say, a Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon level fight scene or a um, uh, Dragon Inn level fight scene uh, with kicks, punches, um, elaborate sword maneuvers, um, and all that sort of thing. And that's coupled with a level of visual effects, both practical and digital. Um, be like if you took Thunderbirds, the Gary Anderson show from the sixties and seventies, which mm. that, that was manic. That, that was not, that was a different type of puppet, but you took that show with the pyrotechnics and so forth they used for the effects there. And then you brought Gary Anderson to the present day and say, do that. But also uh, here is uh, a very well-trained digital effects team to add, a f- to add those effects along with it as well. And that's what you get. And also in addition to that, I will, they're perfectly willing to have their own degree of, um, blood and not gore effects but blood effects as well in terms of bloody violence and that sort of thing this is a this is sword play not just um martial art a hand-to-hand martial arts yeah so you kind of expect the odd like uh, blood spray and things like that um like a little bit it it actually goes a bit above that um (laughs) there's a bit at this the example i will give is there's a bit in the first episode where um where uh, Don Fay is, they're doing the bit where Don Fay is running with the, and she's has the grip of the sword and her brother's running along beside her and he's going to hold off the bad guys so she can get away. It, 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 it's that classic spot. And um, uh, her brother like blasts the, some of the enemy um, uh, troops from the, um, from the uh, Black Demon sect, like in the bloody chunks, uh, and he himself gets stabbed a bunch of times and bleeds out a bunch. They even have the puppet design so he can like cough up some blood. Um, it's like, like if it were human actors, this would probably be a hard R. Um, but because but it's puppets, but it's also played deadly serious as opposed to something like, for example. Um, Team America, where there's where it's that's also a hard R due to violence and other things, um, but it's all that's all played for comedy. It's for the the fundamental joke of puppets bleeding and getting blown to chunks, or for that matter, to do the to make the um, Muppet style example for uh, Meet the Feebles. Those play it for comedy. Um, Thunderbolt Fantasy takes it all seriously. This is a serious narrative and it plays it all straight. And while it's absurd and over the top, it can get absurd and over the top because it plays it so seriously, the, the audience buys, goes with it and buys, buys the narrative and is willing to go along with it. Yeah. The suspension of disbelief is easier. Indeed. Yeah. I'm just reminded of uh, another Jerry Anderson production, actually the captain Scarlet. Captain Scarlet is a really good comparison. Since, if I recall, Captain Scarlet got in trouble for violence back in the time, back in the day. Wouldn't surprise me because there was a lot of death. 
But yeah, and then talking about the puppets themselves, uh, looking at them, I thought they were porcelain. No, yeah. they are. They are wooden puppets. Um, so the show is currently available for, like, jumping the gun a little bit, the show is currently available for streaming on Crunchyroll. And on Crunchyroll for streaming, there is included with it an episode zero, which is, which aired before the first episode of the show aired on Japanese television. And it includes a making of sequence, which has, among other things, examples of what the fight choreography looks like behind the scenes, what they're doing with the puppets, and also how the puppets are made. And you get to see that, no, these are wood carved and then very detailed painted puppets um, by the staff at Peely. Sort of putting my efforts of Warhammer painting to shame. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just a shout out to anyone who's ever tried to paint a mini. It's like, yeah, don't worry. Um, Okay, question three. We can tell that this is a subject that you care about but uh, what got you to give it a chance in the first place? So it's a combination of three different factors, or kind of two different factors. One is my fandom for Japanese animation, um, and the second is my fandom for um, the action cinema of Hong Kong and Taiwan, um, and particularly the wuxia genre. Um, I got introduced to Japanese animation back when I was in middle school, and when I watched the Saturday anime cartoon block on the, uh, the sci-fi channel and see like not all of episodes of it, but like, uh, or of the films because my dad worked on television and didn't like to watch have the TV on early in the morning, but I'd catch bits and pieces of, uh, the sci-fi channel edited versions of, uh, demon city Shinjuku and Akira and that sort of thing. And then later when I was older, um, I got into tabletop role-playing games. I ended up falling, uh, falling into and discovering Wuxia when I discovered a free tabletop role-playing game put out by TSR called Dragon Fist, which was a very heavily Wuxia-influenced role-playing game written by a guy named Chris Pramis, who's gone on to do a bunch of stuff for Green Ronin Publishing. And the additional reading on that got me discovering um, the Feng Shui role-playing game and then a whole bunch of martial arts movies of various stripes, uh, Big Trouble in Little, both Western-produced ones like Big Trouble in Little China, as well as discovering the output of the Shaw Brothers through various tapes that I could found, VHS, VHS tapes, that is, that I found at my local library system. See, there you go. Public library is good for something. Keep them funded. Um, question four. Uh, for some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Thunderbolt Fantasy that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? Um, there is sort of. It's kind of overlaps with chunks of the anime fandom, mainly because of, again, the Japanese side of the co-production part of this. Um, like one of the writers, like the head writer of this is a, a writer named Gen Urabuchi, who if you're an anime fandom, you may recognize as the uh, writer of and creator of Puella Maggi Madoka Magica, the first and third seasons of Psychopaths and of uh, Fate Zero, among other things. And so that, there's a 
chunk of my fandom that's been paying attention to, uh, to the series because of that and in turn it just fallen in love with it because of the level of craft um put into the show not just in terms of the writing but again all of the very excellent work that pilly does with the puppets and the fights and the effects and all that wonderful side of things and they're fairly easy going or uh they're 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 generally all right they have um Again, I haven't gotten too deep into that side of things. I've been mainly on the the anime overlap side, and they're generally pretty cool. Um, they we've got the fans of various nicknames for the characters and that sort of thing. Uh, as a distinct, as a particular example, um, the enigmatic Gale is a character who constantly goes around with a pipe, which has various you can cast magical effects through smokes from it and it's already always kind of smoking a bit so it the joke from the fandom is the joke nickname for enigmatic gale in the fandom is a vape wizard for example um <laughs> okay i found my next D character excellent <laughs> Uh, so question five uh there are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people what was your favorite part? Um, there's a couple. Uh, what grabbed me right away um, was the level, yeah, the level of artistry with the fight scenes and the puppet work and that sort of thing. But as the series went on, the level of writing of the characters, particularly uh, two characters in particular, uh, well, three, our, our, our main two, Edgeless Blade and the Enigmatic Gale, and a character who was introduced in season two, um, who his craft name is a little more awkward. Um, is the Mandarin name is Long is a uh, Lang Wu Lao, and his craft name um, either the song that dooms evil, or another translation would be Stringed Slayer of Evil, and. So he is a musician who has a instrument called a uh, pipa, which is kind of, I describe as being like a um, Chinese version of a, not, not Chinese version, but a, if you've seen a mandolin, it looks kind of like that um, in terms of it's a stringed instrument with a um, bowl area towards the back where the, which is with the main resonance cavity for the music. Um, but he can do magic attacks through playing the instrument. Um, if you've seen either um, Kung Fu Hustle as the more high profile one, or as the less high profile, but more of the originating work, uh, Wuxia film um, Deadful Melody, um, you'll be familiar with this particular method of, uh, of combat, I will say. Um, and part of that also with, uh, with song that dooms evil is his instrument also talks and, um, is an app is a snarker is a very snarky character and adds a, a, uh, the right degree of, uh, kind of deadpan comic relief, um, to the character, not deadpan because he's, he's let, well, the right, the right level of karmic relief in terms of with the instrument being snarky and um, Lang being more deadpan in his um, response. 
Mm. Kind of a, like a dry humor. Yeah, um, Lang is more like dry in terms of his response to things, while the instrument will often be the voice of the od- of the sort of audience perspective in various points in terms of like, hey, we should get out of here, or this person's super untrustworthy, or um, that sort of thing. Just the the stereotypical uh, person in the cinema yelling, "Oh, don't go in there!" Kind of, yeah. Um, but also with a degree of, because he's the instrument that he knows is the instrument to this, um, powerful, uh, martial artist and, um, is like, also because the, oh, we could totally take these guys. Oh, like six, six to one. Uh, that's, that's barely fair for them. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. See, whenever I think of like music as like a combat thing, my first thought is Danny Phantom, which I know isn't the most cultured experience, but that's all I've got. Yeah. Uh, the way it's depicted in the work, this is also kind of how it gets depicted in, in uh, films like Deadful Melody and Kung Fu Hustle is like playing the instrument and a sonic blast, not like uh, like a wall of energy, but more like a edge, like a, like a cutting mm. edge will move for will head out across to the screen and hit opponents and the explosions will kick up stuff and that sort of thing. Yeah. But not quite as cheesy as like power Rangers or anything like that. Um, not quite as cheesy. Again, it has this, or the common tokusatsu background with, with stuff like power Rangers, um, or other super sentai where, <laughs> The explosions are clearly pyrotechnic charges that are being set up on the miniature puppet set sort of situation. Um, it's just that Power Rangers plays it for camp. Super Sentai, depending on the series, will either play it for camp or for serious, um, depending on the show. Cool. Uh, question six. Following on from the previous question, what do you think would appeal most to the general public? Um... The narrative of the story very much would appeal. Like, it is a more bloody violent work than, say, Avatar The Last Airbender. But Avatar got a lot of appeal because it was, while it was a, it's a generally serialized with some episodic elements series with, which presents a martial arts narrative. Um, While it is not strictly as wuxia, as Thunderbolt Fantasy is, um, but it does have a similar degree of depth of character to the members of the cast. And each season does a pretty good job of building up a a group, a, a party of characters who the show will follow, as opposed to just having a, a single solitary protagonist. And because those characters are able to bounce off each other, it'll have that similar appeal. To them. Mm, fair enough. Um, in question seven, say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? Doesn't have to be a sequel or anything, but where would I turn to if I wanted more along the same lines? So I'm going to slightly cheat and give multiples because there are different ways you can go depending on what you like about it. Um, if you like the wuxia, but don't like the puppets, um, I would recommend the works of, um, uh, 
Chinese director King Hu, particularly uh, Hu, particularly his films uh, Dragon Inn, um, A Touch of Zen, and other sim- and uh, Come Drink with Me. Uh, they have similar there's similar works of wuxia, but it's live action works, and they also often have a more supernatural element to them, as opposed to something like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, or a one armed swordsman. If you like the if you just if you like Pili's work on here and you want more Pili stuff, um, there is a series on Netflix right now called Pili Fantasy. It is a adaptation of or a reworking of one of their previous seasons of their very long-running Taiwanese television show. And that's on Netflix right now. And it is a Netflix production or co-production or original or whatever you want to call it, which means I believe no matter what region you're in, you should have access to it. U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, whatever. If you have Netflix, you should be able to get it. Um, If you want more puppets, but maybe not Wuxia, uh, there was a Japan a Japanese science fiction puppet series that was created called X Bomber, which was also released with an English dub in the UK and possibly also Australia and New Zealand. I don't know. Um, called Starfleet, which you also may have some passing familiarity with because Brian May, formerly of Queen, did a cover of it. Um which you may be able to find the music video for it on uh, YouTube under the title of the Starfleet uh, as part of his Starfleet project uh, EP. Just the weird connections that come up sometimes. Apparently Um, his kids liked it. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to do a cover of the theme song. And also I'm going to add lyrics. (laughs) Because why not? Well, I guess at that point it protects your copyright if you have lyrics rather than just uh, adapting. Yeah. Uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to? And if so, what drew you to them? Um, Probably the characters that show who... I really related to the most um, part of it actually is edgeless blade. When he come, when we are, and we're introduced to him in this first season, because he's coming into the main kingdom where most of where the first two seasons of plot takes place as an literal outsider from another land. Uh, he serves as our audience perspective character. And I, appreciated his his kind of level of fish out of waterness and his own level of deadpan humor um i also kind of related to um enigmatic gale in the sense of his his ability to think on his feet and work and rework plots on the on the fly and level of confidence is somewhat aspirational though not his level of not his level of dickery, I would say. Uh... <laughs> okay, uh, question nine. A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person? But that's not the purview of this show. What we ask instead is to picture this scenario. 
You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and all of that has been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you, it is Thunderbolt Fantasy. How frequently do you utilize it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it? Well, the advantage for Thunderbolt Fantasy is there's enough of it now with three seasons and two movies that I'd be able to engage with it for a while and like loop back around to rewatching it um, for without getting too bored. And additionally, because of how well fleshed out the characters and the world are, it's definitely one of those things that that lends itself to fanfic, I will say, in the sense of, okay, while I'm going around the island doing other things, thinking of other, like, it it lends itself to imagining other adventures with these characters and that sort of thing. Even if I've exhausted what I, completely exhausted what I have available in terms of the seasons of television and the characters and, and, and the, the films involved, there's room for speculation in terms of of the characters in the world that we care in the world and what they've what what it what the world around them and beyond what we've seen on screen is to lend itself to speculation and imagining new stories of my own, which is a great thing to have that level of fleshed out detail, not just to have things colored in, but to have enough questions around the edges of the screen to inspire the audience to act, to imagine more. The here big dragons approach of map design. And that's all the questions that I had. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you for having me. Uh, hopefully that's given people a little deeper insight into your perspective and now, before I ruin the show by talking myself, it's time for everyone's favourite part, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. We really appreciate everything you do, unless you're for the army or casino, in which case don't listen to them. Now, I have a follow-up review from last episode's Enemy of the Show and self-proclaimed miniature architect and megazoologist, uh, Havoc 4's recommendation of go uh, the 1954 version of Godzilla. Is this something that you're familiar with? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I am. I've seen both the original Japanese and uh, the modified American version. Mm. On, on recommendation, I watched the original Japanese version. So at least then you get the most pure experience out of it. Um. Coming from sort of the more modern perspective, it is interesting to see sort of the backbone of where a lot of a lot of things have developed. Uh, the pacing is a bit of an issue. I mean, maybe that's just for me because I have probably an attention deficit disorder that really needs to be diagnosed, but I don't know. Uh, and yeah, sometimes it was just like, okay, I don't know how these scenes are supposed to relate to each other time-wise, so I'm a little bit lost and starting to get a little bit bored. But it it's interesting to see a film that not only takes itself seriously, but allows it to sit 
and just breathe to experience the moment rather than insisting on everything needs to keep happening to keep people engaged. Uh, saying that, it does it does suffer the the downside of having that age behind it. Uh, it's as I said, it's good to see where things have come from, especially as it relates to the tokusatsu genre, the super sentai and things like that, the evolution of where media has come from. But looking at it purely like for the first time on this, I would say I would have to give it a two out of five. And now, before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session and ninth time that I've made that joke, uh, can you please tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise? Um, well, you can check out my stuff at uh, countzerooroc.com. I have that's my blog site. It has my let's plays, my written reviews, my various video projects. Um, as far as that are on YouTube, get embedded there as well. Um, and if you like what you see and want to financially support the, what I do, uh, I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash count zero O-R. That's count Z-E-R-O-O-R. Cool. And I'll throw some links in the show notes and everything for that. And on that note, I've been Al. I've been Alex. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember... A horse in the water is worth a pope in the bush.